So Moses is leading tens of thousands of people, people who had until very recently been living under an oppressive system that controlled most parts of their life, who weren't allowed to make any decisions about their own lives, and also they had developed their own group-specific ways of getting things done and solving their problems as much as they were able. So these people, who were slaves in Egypt, have been displaced from that, from everything they knew. Their systems and their networks disrupted. They now have control over all parts of their lives, not just the few parts that their overseers used to let them have control of. And they've had spectacular proof that God's presence and provision will be with them. But their daily reality is one of living on the edge of survival in the wilderness with no idea where they're going. Problems are bound to happen. A people used to scraping and scrapping for existence doesn't learn peaceful anarchy in just a few months. Since Moses is the one with the direct line to the big guy in the pillar of flame, the people go to him to work things out, and he seems to assume that this is his God-given responsibility. So he's sitting all day, listening to people make their cases and deciding what is just. And I imagine these long lines all day of people waiting to talk to old Mo. That's a heavy burden to bear. And then Jethro shows up. This is Moses' father-in-law bringing his, uh, Moses' wife and kids back. The morning after Jethro arrives, so he's just been there one night, Jethro sees Moses spending his whole day as judge, and he gives some friendly advice. Now, we can read this in many different ways. Jethro is a sage elder. He is a priest of Midian, we're told. So he's an experienced leader who knows that trying to do everything yourself is a one-way ticket to burnout. What you are doing is not good, he tells Moses. You have to delegate. Or we could read this Jethro as a mansplainer, showing up on the scene and immediately micromanaging Moses' leadership style. Well, actually, Moses, uh, you should do it like this. Listen to me. He doesn't know how Moses is as a leader. He doesn't know these people, and he's not even sticking around. He's going back to his own land, so he's not fully invested in this functioning of this new community. More likely, it's something somewhere in between. Jethro has experience in leadership, but he just gives one, uh, uh, one way for Moses to fix this. Moses, do this, and then it will be better. No problems. Choose leaders. Organize them in these military-style units of thousands, hundreds, and tens. They can solve the easy problems and bring the hard ones to you. That's the way to do it. Whether it's because Moses respects Jethro as a skilled leader, or whether he is humoring him, whether he rolls his eyes or embraces Jethro's instruction with relief, Moses does exactly what Jethro uh, suggests. And the thing is, it doesn't seem to work all that well. <laughs> Shortly after this is when Moses goes up the mountain to talk to God, as the text we'll have in a couple of weeks, and things among the people just fall apart almost immediately. 
They melt all of their jewelry to make a golden calf. And if the movie The Ten Commandments is to be believed, they have this ginormous, violent orgy and probably, like, I don't know, glut themselves on too many donuts or something like that. My joke, but what happens is the people turn away from God's ways of generous abundance. Out of fear and uncertainty, they turn away from God's way, where no one has to earn their self-worth and their, or their right to exist. Out of exhausted uncertainty, the people turn away from God's way of including and caring for everyone, and they turn back to the exploitative, extractive economy of Egypt, literally worshiping Egyptian gold. The leadership system that Jethro suggested didn't keep this from happening. Maybe the people brought their griefs to those leaders first, we don't know, and, but they weren't satisfied. Maybe the leaders saw this as above their pay grade. We were told to do the easy stuff, Moses does the hard stuff. This is the hard stuff, we are not touching this. Maybe they tried to address the people's problems, but they weren't trusted or weren't listened to. Maybe the people just didn't like their decisions, and so they went looking for something more to their liking, this classic go ask your mom, uh, or go ask whichever parent will give you the answer that you want tactic. Whatever the reason, the people go to Aaron, Moses' second-in-command. They essentially go over the heads of those leaders that Moses appointed, and the leadership structures fall apart. Leadership structures feel pretty much like they're falling apart here in our world today. I'm not going to be a downer and name all of the ways that things feel broken right now. We all know what the big ones are. And we all have many examples from our own individual lives. And I have to admit, I've gotten to a point myself where my trust in any institution is pretty darn low. The government, the certain super special ultra court, the Democratic Party, uh, social media CEOs, churches. I'm feeling frustrated by just about every leadership group and structure that exists, big or small. And I'm feeling pretty despairing about the people in our world who hold the most power. And I'm not feeling particularly constructive. I don't have too many ideas about alternatives, except can you please try not to suck so much? <sighs> We're coming up on the special delegate session of MCUSA. And I admit I'm not paying the most attention to what's going on. But I know that it's a time when the delegate body will decide whether we should quietly retire the exclusive membership guidelines or whether we should use this as an opportunity to acknowledge and wrestle with the damage and violence that those guidelines have done. I don't have a crystal ball to look in to know what will happen, but I know that the church doesn't have the greatest track record on this kind of things. For the last four months, I've been working as a chaplain at a hospital, which is a massive institution that as much as their mission is to take care of people and make them better, it also obsessively thinks about the bottom line. So I don't trust it, but I know I can't trust it. 
It isn't going to surprise me in the ways it ultimately conserves power and isn't invested in justice for the most marginal. So this is really pessimistic and grim, I know, but I also know that many, many people are right here with me, and I want to name these things. We are in a time of desperately looking for alternatives as our planet and our systems hurtle towards self-destruction. What's worked in the past isn't working now, and we don't know where to turn. Maybe if someone soldered together a nice statue and told us it would solve all our problems, we too would dance around it, half naked, eating pastries and drinking wine, in hopes that it just might help. But the people of Israel keep going. The crumbling of this first leadership structure won't be the last failure, but also won't be their last try. There are several more times in this story of Moses and the people in the wilderness when they try out a new plan. In the book of Numbers, Moses turns to God and says, This is it! I cannot bear the load of these people anymore. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a sucking child? And God says, okay, go out and find 70 people, ones that you know are elders and officers over the people. I will take some of the spirit that is in you and I will put it in them. So there's an early Jewish commenter, Rashi, uh, who comments on this text and says that these 70 people who were uh, trusted as elders and officers over the people, they were officers and elders over the people while they were slaves in Egypt. So these overseers were beaten on behalf of the people, suffering in their stead. And so now that they are all in the wilderness, they are trusted by those people that they once protected. So this time, Moses is instructed by God not to choose the people that he thinks will be good leaders, but instead he gathers the people who are already leaders, who are already trusted, who were instrumental in the people surviving and giving them security and dignity in the hardest time of their life. And I can't say that was the answer to everything. The end, they never changed their leadership structure ever again. But it is an example of trying again to do a little better. So much of the Bible is ordinary people like us trying to get it right. In the Gospel reading from Matthew, the 11 remaining disciples are given an impossible task. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is ridiculous. These 11 dudes from an oppressed uh, people group who are mostly fishermen are supposed to go and make it happen in all of the world? And to top it all off, Jesus doesn't even leave them with instructions on how to structure this thing. No, gather 70 people. No, structure your church council like this and have these deacons and elders. Like, none of that. Just go. And so they try. And they try. And they try again. We are still trying. As humans, we have a profound lack of awesomeness. 
This has always been the case, and it will continue to be the case. We will continue to disappoint and hurt each other. We shouldn't be surprised when it happens, but we also can't, can't let that human reality stop us. We can't let our failure to be awesome stop us from trying our darndest to be a little less awful tomorrow. And the good thing is we're not starting completely from scratch. People have been imagining and writing and talking for generations about different ways for humans to live. We've been experimenting in real time, reflecting and tweaking and trying new things. There are intentional communities and nonprofits actively living different ways of doing and being. There are books, nonfiction and fiction, and especially science fiction, my favorite, books that are dreaming up new ways for humans to live and be together. The Dispossessed by Ursula Le Guin, The Iron Council by China Mayville, uh, what is it, Go uh, Country of Ghosts by Margaret Kiljoy. These are just a few that I've read recently and over the years. They are, there are everyday people like you and me with endless creativity. There's an organization that I work with, uh, uh, Dismantling the Doctrine of Discovery Coalition, and they're working right now to raise money to hire Sarah Augustine, who is an indigenous Anabaptist organizer, and she has a hundred-year vision for our country and our world that they are investing in actively. And when you hear her talk about it, it feels like it could happen. And it's the most remarkable thing. So we keep trying, and we will keep trying. God is frequently disappointed by humanity. But I don't think that God is terribly surprised. God knows us. And God sticks with us in full awareness of our lameness. For some reason, God continues to work in and through and alongside of humans. God cheers our successes, weeps with us in our failures, and gnashes the divine teeth at our inevitable lack of awesomeness. But God knows the story doesn't stop there. There is more yet to come, always. At the end of the story from Matthew, after Jesus has given the disciples the ridiculous, impossible task of sharing the good news with the entire world, there's this verse. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The book of Matthew that this comes from begins with naming the unborn Jesus Emmanuel, a word that in Hebrew literally means God with us. So God is with us in the flesh in Jesus. So in this last line, Jesus is just saying his own name. Emmanuel, I am with you always. He promises that throughout all of it, even until the end of the world, he will be with us. There is nothing we can do, no action or thought that can separate us from God's love. In all the messy, uncomfortable, hard work of practicing God's ways, God is with us. Remember, Emmanuel, always. So being Christians doesn't mean that we won't inevitably get stuck in our suckiness. It means 
practicing trust in God's promise that we don't have to stay there, that there's more to the story always. May it be so.